The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell. I am the executive minister and the senior assistant minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister, who, by the way, celebrating his 10th anniversary this month as the senior minister of Christ Universal Temple. And our founder is the legendary the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. So we're in the midst of a series right now titled The Five Choices. And it's based upon the book, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity by Corey Kogan, Adam Merrill, and Lena Reen. And this is the last episode on this book. I'm hoping that this book has given you an opportunity to reevaluate how you look at productivity. I hope that it has allowed you to develop systems that will help you become more efficient. I'm not saying that you're not efficient already. You can be exceptionally efficient, but here's the thing about efficiency. It can always get better. It can always produce better results. You can always get anything better than it was. You know, even when something is really good, the human mind always seeks to improve. You know, you have a good plane, you can make a better plane. You have a, a, a good car engine, you can make a better car engine. You can make a better house structure. You can make, you know, better cell phones. You know, that's a part of human desire, human innovation, human imagination, human creativity. We're always looking for ways in which we can create something bigger, better, badder. Now, and sometimes there are situations or circumstances where obviously, uh, you know, that can sometimes go awry. That's a conversation for another day. But the desire to improve will always be there, whether it's doing things that are what the world would call positive or what the world would call negative. There will always be a reason for people to say, I can make that better than it is right now. Now. Today, we're going to be talking about building a Q2 culture in your organization. You might say, well, I'm not working anymore. I'm retired. But you can also make a Q2 organization in your home. You can make a Q2 organization with your nonprofit. You can make a Q2 organization volunteering for a church or any other nonprofit. It's just building a Q2 culture. What does it look like? What are the steps that are needed for you to get the results you desire? So the chapter starts off with a quote from Peter Drucker, who is a well-known leadership expert. The most important contribution management needs to make in the 21st century is to increase the productivity of knowledge work and the knowledge worker. All right. And that's important. In other words, we have to empower our people with knowledge and the know-how to execute that knowledge. This is really important. And this requires people to develop the ability to think, 
Now, I know that might seem like something simple, but it's not. Many times people will neglect to do the thinking part even when they have the skill. Like, okay, how do I execute? How do I utilize these skills I have? That matters. Because you can have the talent, you can have the skill, you can have the experience, but you still have to choose how to use what you have. Your skill set is a tool. Your mind determines how it's used. That's why some people say when a person has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You have to be mindful of the skill set and how you choose to use it and to make the decisions that are necessary and to be empowered to make the decisions. Because there are times when people make decisions that people don't necessarily like in senior management that, uh, you know, there's no wiggle room for a person to make mistakes. If, you make, if you're making decisions, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. I don't care who you are. You, you can be a doctor, lawyer, the president of the United States, a prime minister of a country. You're going to make the wrong call sometimes. You just try to ma- not make the catastrophic wrong call. But to say you're always going to have the right opinion, always going to have the right belief system, always going to have the right point of view, always going to have the right position, always going to say the exact right thing, always going to make the right call 100% all of the time. No, no. I was looking up the other day the, 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 the percentage of how often people who promote their draft picks. You turn to ESPN or Fox Sports or NBC Sports or or the Bleacher Report. All these different places have these, uh, you know, basically on-air or on-air journalists or journalists in, in print who create mock drafts for the NFL, for the NBA, for Major League Baseball. But the NFL and the NBA is where they really make their money, especially the NFL. And I was just wondering, how often are they accurate? So, you you know, if you're on ESPN every day saying, these people are going to be picked in the top 10, these people are going to be picked in the first round of the NFL draft, how accurate are you? And I've discovered that there are some that are really accurate, like Emil Kuyper, and then there are some people who are not so much. My point is, uh, when you're studying effectiveness, you have to also study efficiency. Okay, is this effective? Is it efficient? How efficient is it? How efficient is it? Why am I listening to you? So now I know why people listen to Mel Kuyper besides him saying, I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean he's accurate all the time, but he gets the first round of the NFL draft down pretty much to about 74%, which is highly accurate. I'm not here to promote Mel Kuyper. My point is this. When you're building a Q2 organization, you have to figure out how to increase productivity of knowledge and knowledge work. So I'm assuming that the engine that's behind ESPN and the engine behind his own personal company that does these draft evaluations have a system that allows them to produce consistent results. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's always going to get it right. But can you produce consistent results? Because if you can produce consistent results, 
that are for the benefit of yourself or your customers, somebody will pay you to make sure that happens. Somebody will pay you. All right, back to the book. This chapter, Building a Q2 Culture in Your Organization, is for senior senior level leaders. The book says it this way. This chapter is for senior level leaders who have the authority and the will to institutionalize a Q2 culture inside their organization. It is an overview of the process you can use to make this happen. All right. So what does that look like? Next paragraph. Your culture is your organization's operating system. Most of the complex electronic devices you have, you own have an operating system. Your smartphone, for instance, could be run by Apple's iOS, Google's Android, Windows, or some other system. But what operations exist for is to make everything else run well. So, for instance, they have a picture on the page where the operating system is a big circle, and from it are dotted lines to go to different things. Apps, camera, speaker, memory, screen. All of these things function under the operating system. Now, this is important because the, without the operating system, none of it functions properly. The operating system makes everything else run well. So the book says a culture is like an operating system for your organization. If you have a great operating system, then all the things you are trying to do run better. Let's just stop there for a moment. Uh, Dr. Sam Chan wrote a book called uh, Cracking Your Your Church's Culture Code. And in it, he talks about the culture of organizations in general, but he works primarily with churches, but the culture of organizations in general and how hard it is to crack the culture. First of all, to get really clear what the culture is and then to usurp it and replace it with a new culture. That doesn't, and you can't do that cosmetically. This is why it requires senior, senior leader, uh, senior level leadership, and the accountability built into the system to make sure that it happens properly. The book goes on to say, whether it is achieving revenue goals, accomplishing tasks and projects, serving customers, or improving production processes and systems, if you have a strong operating system. Things just work better. If you have a corrupt or dysfunctional operating system, things may not work at all. So let me just take this a step back before we start dealing with organizations again and start dealing with ourselves as individuals. Your belief system, your context, your paradigm is your individual culture. And everything is run from how you think, feel, and believe. Everything in your life, everything you see, everyone you're engaged with. And if you want to take it to a little bit more of a deeper mystical level, what you think, what you feel, what you believe, what you say, what you do is creating and attracting experiences to correspond with your mental culture. Sometimes we're wondering why the same type of people show up in our lives. 
doing the same thing. It's a mental culture. Wondering why the same problems show up with family, with relationships, at work, or whatever. Mental culture. How come some people can move to another country around completely new people in a totally different culture, sometimes with a different language, and the same problems show up, the same problems with dating or relationships, the same problems with money, the same problems with work, the same problems with engaging with friends or family, the same problems. How? How? If you move from the United States, for instance, to you know Great Britain or France or China, how does that happen? It happens because the person has the same mental culture. The same mental culture. They have a belief system that operates a certain kind of way that produces results that are consistent with it. This is why I often say you can't outperform your own consciousness. You can't outperform it. And I know sometimes people like to to believe that they can have a life that is inconsistent with the way they see life, consciously and unconsciously. Because sometimes we say things consciously, but that's not where we really are, subconsciously. What do I mean? Some people say they want peace and love and harmony, but subconsciously, they like drama. They like trauma. They like arguing. They like the gossip. They like engaging in in things that produce the high of battle or conflict is probably a better term. So consciously they're saying this is what I want, but the belief system is built differently. That's your mental culture. So I want to make sure that as we're talking about organizations that we don't think that uh, that's only talking about the business world because believe it or not, you are your own organization. You are you incorporated and your operating system. In other words, the way you think, feel, and believe is affecting your money. It's affecting your spirituality. It's affecting your religious life. It's affecting your business or your job. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your relationship. It's affecting your relationships with your family. It's affecting your friends. It's affecting where you go. It's affecting what you do. It's affecting where you live. It's affecting how you live. It affects how you see life going forward. It affects how you view your past. It is your mental culture. It affects it all. It's your operating system. This is why in new thought, we focus so much on the transformation of consciousness to borrow the term from the apostle Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, for those who need to know that verse. Just think about it. That transformation only comes through the renewing of your mind, whether that's in a business or in a marriage or dealing with your family or friends or anything else. There is no transformation without renewal, without making it new again. Making what? The mind. And the mind is more than just surface thought. It's conscious and subconscious in the sense of the things you're aware of and the things that are so deeply seated in your mind that you might think that that's just the way life is. You don't see it as, oh, that's my belief. You see it as, that's how life is. All right. So let's get to it. So on bottom of page 218, top of page 218, it says, when you have a Q2 culture inside your organization, you will find that people self-orient around the highest priorities, self-select the activities that will generate the highest return against those priorities, and self-deploy, self-deploy their finest attention around those activities while bringing their best selves to work. Self-orient, self-select, and self-deploy. When you have a team that is that will self-orient, in other words, they work around the highest priorities, self-select, they will then generate the activities to give the highest returns against those priorities, and then self-deploy, bring their finest attention around those activities. In other words, you don't have to go and get them motivated or scare them into working the way they need to work. They'll self-deploy. Do what needs to be done. Then you know it's working. Then you know it's working. All right. So it goes back to the, um, to, to some data that was from earlier in the book. It says, think about the data we shared at the beginning of this book. We showed the results of a six-year global study of 3,351,613 3, respondents, where people indicated that just over 40% of their time and energy was being spent on things that were not important to them or to their companies. We asserted that this was the biggest hidden cost in the organizations today. The numbers implying that nearly half of your payroll is being spent on things that don't matter to your strategic goals. Now, just think about that for a moment. 40% of most organizations' payroll is being spent on things that will not move the company forward. That's a big cost. That's a big cost. And when that becomes the culture, then people will move when they have to move, but they're not self-deploying. They're not self-oriented. Let me put it in old, good, plain talk. They're not going to create work. 
to improve the company. They'll do as much as necessary sometimes not to get fired. But there's a difference between doing enough not to get fired, which sometimes will just get you fired anyway, and self-deploying and creating work, creating ideas to actually make the organization better. Sitting down and thinking, how can I make what I do better to the point to where it can improve the organization? Now, this is important because, again, as I stated earlier, you want thinkers around you. There are some jobs, obviously, where it requires a far less thinking, depending on the job. But don't assume that even a, a labor job, you know, where people are, you know, doing physical work like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to start saying because I don't want people to think I'm devaluing those jobs cause, because I'm not. My point is it might not be a job where you're sitting in the office on a computer making decisions or or creating programs or working a system or money or decision-making, high-level decision-making. However, those jobs might require strategy to make sure that they're efficient as possible. You'd be surprised how often people don't even think about efficiency. And sometimes just doing what needs to be done just to be more efficient. For instance, you know, I often tease one of my buddies, when we were teenagers and we were we used to push carts at uh, this grocery store named Dominic's. It's out of business now. And, you know, I, we like to be outside on the carts so we could, you know, talk to the girls as they came in on the parking lot. And But to be able to do that, we had to have a strategy. And our strategy was none of the managers or supervisors will be looking for us if the store is always full of carts, like some people go out there and they're lollygagging. We were, you know, we had a strategy how we tackled those carts and we made sure that those, the carts were full. Therefore, nobody was looking for us. So if we needed to, you know, walk away and give somebody uh, some attention, we could do it without someone getting on us because we can say, why are you fussing at me? The, the carts are full. The job is done. And, you know, I, you know, and I look back at those times now and laugh, but it was still a strategy. It was saying, okay, what's the best way in which this can be done efficiently, quickly, and once we got the game plan, we did it until it starts snowing and getting being cold all the time. And then I was like, that's enough of this. I got to become a cashier. But anyway, back to the book. It says, what if you had a culture where people automatically self-oriented around the important things that really made an impact, whether to the bottom line or to, or to other strategic goals you're working on? What if people consistently challenged what they and others were doing to eliminate the things that kept them from being productive? What if people regularly came to you with ample mental and physical energy to accomplish what is, needs to be done? Most importantly, what if people regularly chose to invest all their creative talent and energy into their work without holding anything back? Well, that's a great question. Are you getting the best versions of your people? And if not, why? Does your culture allow it? 
Does your culture allow creativity? Is there room to grow? Because one of the things that will always affect people is ambition. I can see that there's room to grow. There's room to make more money. There's room to make a greater impact. Different things will will motivate different people. But if there's no room to grow in one of those areas, it can be very difficult to keep good talent because people like to be rewarded for being exceptional. In other words, if you're exceptional and the three or four people around you are average, you know, good enough to get the job done, but not exceptional. What will end up happening in many in many cases is the exceptional person will end up carrying way more weight, sometimes without way more pay, sometimes without way more uh, creativity or responsibility to be able to generate their own income, generate new positions, generate formative change in the organization. It makes a difference. People like to be rewarded for excellence. There's no other way to say it. And we need to to be mindful that people like to to be rewarded for excellence. Sometimes there's there's no way to maintain that level of excellence. And I get, you know, there'll be some people say, well, you know, you're getting paid to do your job. Well, I'm talking about people who do it so efficiently and effectively that they warrant the conversation of, how do I maintain this level of talent? You know, I was uh, watching or uh, reading an article where a guy that was make had a company that he was making $1.1 million. He decided to take a pay cut to 70000 and raise the minimum wage in his company to 70000 And, you know, he already had a lot of money, and that's his choice. I'm not saying it's the right or wrong thing. But what he discovered was when people, uh, you know, some conservative media attacked him, what he discovered was, well, I'm going to have to finish this story when we get back because I, I want to drill down on this for a moment. And then we're going to get into some specifics. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Before I finish my story, I want to make sure that I give my quick commercial. The commercial is... You can join Christ Universal Temple every Sunday from 10.30 a.m. until noon Central Time for our live stream, which you can find on our website, www.cutemple.org, or our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, or even on our YouTube page, CU Temple. We actually have, as a guest speaker this Sunday, the world-renowned Lisa Nichols, who is, for those who don't know, is one of the top inspirational, motivational, 
self-help coach speakers in the world. So you definitely want to make sure you check it out. She's speaking for us for uh, Reverend Wells' 10th anniversary, which I mentioned earlier today. Also to remind you that we have a Facebook Live uh, lessons Monday through Friday at noon Central Time. I do it along with our COO, Gavin Jackson, and one of our uh, Johnny Coleman Institute teachers, uh, Blanche Wilson. We teach lessons from the Daily Inspiration or other lessons to just help people get that midday boost. And you might not be able to watch it at noon, but you can always go back and watch it later on Facebook. We also have a consciousness building call at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Central Time. You can go to the website or our social media to get that information, the phone number, and all the things you need to do to get that together. We just put out a new schedule for the Johnny Coleman Institute. We're going to have new classes beginning in May on May 10th. So make sure that you get you take time to go on the website, www.cutemple.org, click on the classes tab, take a look at the classes you might want to uh, take. Trust me, without a shadow of a doubt, for what you'll be spending for the minimal registration fee and just a love offering in classes, you can get, you know, life-transforming material and information in a class environment while you're studying the book. I'll be teaching a book called Treat Yourself to Life, which is a old New Thought classic by the Reverend Raymond Charles Barker, who was a high-level leader in New Thought, especially in the Science of Mind movement, which is now called Centers for Spiritual Living. So make sure you check that out. So I think I covered all my basic commercial stuff, but I just wanted to make sure that you tune in, you tune in, you tune in. And if you're in the Chicagoland area on April 25th, we're going to have an outdoor service. We're not having service inside the building yet, but we're going to have a, a service where we're building a stage, gigantic stage outside. We're going to have the full service preaching, music, prayer, guest musicians. Uh, we're, we're going all out. So you definitely want to tune in on April 25th. If you're in the Chicagoland area, make sure you're in the house. In other words, on the campus, pull up in your car, pull your lawn chair out right next to it, and enjoy a good concert. All right, so back to the story, and then we're going to get into some very serious specifics specifics about how to integrate this building a Q2 culture in your organization. I know I took a turn talking about personal life stuff, but I always want to make sure that everyone can relate to the material on this podcast. So as I was mentioning about the gentleman who owned a multi-million dollar company and he was making $1.1 million and he decided to raise the minimum wage to his comp of his, every employee to $70,000 a year in the United States. And he did it because he found out that one of his good employees had a second job working for McDonald's at night and he, it just didn't sit with him well. And what he discovered was that when he raised it up, he dropped his salary. Obviously, again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling the story about what he did. And the company grew. Now, he was being called a socialist whose company is going to bottom out. And all of his employees are going to get fired. And what was interesting was the company more than doubled in revenue. Uh, his turnover turnover as far as employee turnover ratio almost dropped to, to, to minimal numbers. In other words, people weren't leaving because they were satisfied with their jobs. 
the efficiency and creativity went through the roof. More of his employees, I think they said the the amount of employees who had who had new babies gave birth to babies, whether the you know the man or the woman, increased tenfold. And when the pandemic hit, and they lost forty percent of their revenue at the beginning of the pandemic last year, the employees decided that they would take a pay cut to keep the company going because they believed in the company and the and the owner in the vision of the company. And now they've got everything back rolling. And I didn't mention that they actually doubled the amount of people who work for them. This is talking about building the culture that you want. Building the culture that you want. He wanted a culture where he felt as though Everybody had a level of financial security so he can get the best version of them for his company. And it worked. So he might not have been using the five choices, but what he was doing was creating a culture that allowed maximum efficiency for what he needed out of his company, what he needed out of his employees. So I just want to make sure that I finish that story because he was attacked by you know, news, conservative news, you know, basically saying he was going to ruin his company. And this company has been written up in, in, you know, in multiple financial newspapers and magazines as a pristine organization because he had a higher vision and he executed it well. And he was committed to doing it. So let's deal with how you can create this Q2 culture few things, page 220. Number one, weekly Q2 conversations and team meetings. Team leaders will be using the time matrix regularly in their meetings to help their teams maintain focus on the big rocks in Q2 and remove Q3 distractions. This is key. If you're not using the language and, the, and, and using the technology in team meetings, it goes away. It goes away. Remember, possibility has a short shelf life. If you bring a new possibility to your organization, if it is not nurtured, if it's not developed, if it's not treated basically like a newborn baby where you have to give it so much attention, it will go away. It will fade away and the old culture will reinstate itself. Next thing you can do is Q2 role statements and goals. Individuals will have created specific statements around the contributions they will make in their work, made specific goals to get there, and, valid, and validate, validated them with their immediate supervisors. I'm sure I read that wrong, but anyway, these will be integrated into performance conversations. So in other words, the team needs to be clear about their Q2 role statements and goals. What are they, What is their statement? This is what, I'm, what I do and why I do it, and what are the goals that come out of those statements? When people are very clear, then they can take the next step, which is weekly and daily Q2 planning. Individuals will be doing regularly, weekly, regular weekly and daily Q2 planning with a specific focus on their work goals. So you should always go in knowing what needs to be accomplished for that day. Now, that doesn't mean that Q1 or emergencies, urgent and important, things won't come up. They will. They will. That's life. But that doesn't mean that you haven't done the work to make sure that you 
are functioning efficiently and planning in the Q2 stage. So when Q1 stuff happens, you can address it and then get back to Q2. And you have to make sure you have weekly planning meetings and daily planning to make sure that you're accomplishing your Q2 goals. Again, common technology protocols is the next thing. You will have a common set of email protocols that will help people avoid wasting time and use their email more effectively. We talked a lot about emails and how you do them and how you check them. And this is one of the things that I have to get on myself about because I'm a night owl and it's just easy for me just to check emails and things of that nature all night. And sometimes I just have to catch myself and say, okay, I'll address that in the morning. Because if not, it gets your thinking process rolling and you don't, get, and, and I can say, and I won't give my brain a break. So that means, okay. I mean, I saw some emails yesterday. I just on my phone, check the notifications like, Oh, okay. These are some things I need to address in the morning. And then, when, when when the thought process is fresh. Now, here's the thing. I probably shouldn't even check to see if they were there, but sometimes I just check just for to make sure that there's no Q1 things happening because that's church. Church sometimes deals with Q1 things. People have transitions. People have health challenges. People deal with emergencies. And some as a minister, you just can't have your head in a hole like an ostrich. But you do have to maintain the discipline, not to always get pulled in when somebody wants to pull you in, you have to discern what is a Q1 situation versus a Q2. And again, if you haven't heard this Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 conversation, go back and listen to some previous shows where I explain that concept in great detail. Great detail. I believe I did it in the second episode of this series. All right. Then we're talking about high energy behaviors. You will see people exhibiting higher energy and supporting behaviors as measured by the Q2 energy index. So people are energized when they feel as though they're being effective, that they're being efficient, and it's being appreciated. And as I stated earlier, and will be rewarded for it. Let's be clear about it. And will be rewarded for it. And sometimes... The reward is financial, but sometimes it's what uh, a person who used to be an educator who started her own private school system, I believe her name was Martha Collins, I believe. She used to say sometimes people need psychic income. Okay, what does that mean? That means that you have to have times where you, you got to let people know, hey, you appreciate it, that pat on the back, that handshake that, hey, I appreciate you, it, it goes a long way. Sometimes people work harder for appreciation than they will for the dollar. There are people who are highly successful who are not financially, who are not necessarily happy because they don't feel as though they're appreciated. I was listening to, um, not listening, reading an article of a, uh, a UFC fighter, and he was talking about, um, you know, how sometimes, you know, you, you start making these millions of dollars and how family members can start doing some things that are a little bit different. So he talked about how he bought all of these family members, all brand new cars. 
looked and he, you know, as soon as he turned his back and wasn't paying attention to the situation, they sold the cars for money. And, you know, and it was a lesson to be learned, okay? You have to be mindful of how you are utilizing the money that you are literally putting your body on the line for and how people will utilize it because he didn't feel appreciated that I went out of my way to buy all these people cars and they just turned around and sold them immediately and got the money. So I'm assuming that these weren't cheap cars. All right, but that's a culture too, a culture of, I'm going to live off of your struggle. Conversation for another day. All right. How to install the five choices choices in your culture. All right. Number one, leadership team orientation. All right. To start an executive sponsor is chosen as well as a champion team who will be responsible for training the leaders and others inside the organization. In other words, you have to have from senior level management down, people who will commit and train others to do it. And they start talking about championship team certification, leader training, team member training, leadership accountability and report out, reassessment, sustainment. All of these things are things that you can read in greater detail because this requires a little bit of structure where a leader really needs to see how does this choice to follow the five choices actually get implemented into an organization it's actually these seven steps and it requires detail that you're not going to get from a podcast all right now the main thing is on page 224 it's a it's a graphic And it's a graphic of three circles. There's a circle, and then a circle over it, and then a circle over it. The the smallest circle, inside circle, is commit. Commit to implement the five choices. The next circle is model the five choices. And then the largest circle is reinforce the five choices. Now, why does it start small and go out? Because the commitment is at the highest level first. Then it gets modeled. Then it gets reinforced. So these are things that we have to take a look at if we want to create organizations that are efficient, that are efficient. And, you know, my my mind is telling me just to go back for a second and just talk about really quickly what those five, four quadrants are. Now, remember, the quadrant one is the quadrant of necessity. That's important and urgent. Those are the crises. The crises, excuse me, I said the crises. The crises, the emergency meetings, last-minute deadlines, pressing problems, unforeseen events. Life is going to happen. Those things are going to happen. Literally. Literally. I just got a call this morning. Such and such is in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. That's the world and life of a minister. We have to deal with it. Those are the crises. Those are the things you got to say, okay, I got to stop and address this now. But then there's Q2 where you want to live. Q2, quadrant two, is extraordinary productivity. This is proactive work. 
high impact goals, creative thinking, planning, prevention, relationship building, learning and renewal. This is where you create the productivity for your organization. This is where you create productivity for your life. This is where you get the massive results that really move the needle in your organization or life. When you get consistent about what it is that I'm seeking to produce, then there's Q3. Quadrant three is the quadrant of distraction. It's not important, but it's urgent. By the way, Q2 is important, not urgent. Q3 is not important, but urgent. These are the needless interruptions, unnecessary reports, irrelevant meetings, other people's minor issues, unimportant emails and tasks, unimportant phone calls and status posts, unimportant stuff. Urgent, in other words, is urgent because it's taking your attention. This is why I mentioned before that you have to be mindful about all those notifications now on your phone because they will interrupt you. You're working, you're on a project, your phone starts bing, 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 bing. Next thing you know, you're checking the app. You're checking your social media. You're checking a whole bunch of different things that have nothing to do with productivity. And as I've often said to people, you can check one notification on Facebook and next thing you know, you're on there 20 minutes later, just scrolling. And then you click on a link on a page and now you're reading something else. Then you scroll down, you see something else, you click on that. And then you scroll down. Oh, there's a video to watch. Click. And next thing you know, you look up and 20 minutes has gone by. Sometimes an hour, sometimes longer. Make sure you're maximizing your time and stopping the needless interruptions. Sometimes that just might mean, okay, you, you, again, you're, you're, you're in the meeting. That might mean that you have to put your phone on do not disturb and, and only calls that come through are the ones from like, you know, your, the few people that need to contact you in case of emergency. Like literally, because it's always something to pull your attention. Again, unnecessary reports and and irrelevant everything else. Like, okay, it will do well, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? As a leader, if you're if you're giving out, you know, the need, if you're asking your employees to create unnecessary reports or meet unnecessarily. Ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish with this meeting or by getting this report? You need to be really clear. Really clear. All right, then there's quadrant four, the quadrant of waste. Trivial work. Avoidance activities. Excessive relaxation. Television, gaming, and internet. Time wasters, gossip. This is when this is not important, 
and it's not urgent. But sometimes when we are so mentally exhausted from living Q1 and Q3 lives, that we will sometimes fall into Q4 and get lost there. As I mentioned on an earlier episode, have you ever rested or slept so long you're actually tired from sleeping or tired from resting? Because your body's meant to get up and go. Your mind is meant to be active. And you can do too much of a good thing and turn it into something that it doesn't need to be. You know, if a person, if all of a person does is meditate and never deals with life, then the meditation turns into life and they are neglecting the responsibilities of being a human being. And I'm pro meditation, but, but you can't, you know, just say, okay, I'm just going to check out a life. That's what I'm saying. Be careful that you're not wasting, you know, yes, get your sleep. But if, but if you're sleeping 12 hours a day, something might be off. Yes, watch your favorite TV show. Watch your movies. I do all that stuff. Play your games and whatever. But just be careful that it doesn't create imbalance. Imbalance. Especially when it comes to spending time with the people that matter the most to you or creating efficiency at work to where you're in the middle of Q4 stuff and there's no planning, there's no real work and you're dealing with everybody else's drama and trauma. You want to be in Q2. You want to be in Q2. And, and you know, because we only have a few minutes left, I want to reread page 33. I know I taught this back in the day. Uh, about a month ago, I'm going to say back in the day, about a month ago, quadrant two activities are important but not urgent. This is the quadrant of extraordinary productivity because here is where you take charge of your own life and do the things that will make a real difference in terms of accomplishment and results. In Q2, you will find things like proactive work, achieving high-impact goals, creative thinking, planning, prevention, relationship building, learning, and renewal. Unlike the other quadrants where things come at you, you have to consciously choose to be in Q2. You have to use the thinking part of your brain to discern the things of highest value and act on them. All right. And then it goes on to say, page 34. Time spent in Q2 reduces the crisis and problems in Q1 because you will intentionally spend time planning, preparing, and preventing. Preventing. And the last thing I want to mention out of this is that Q2 gives you return on the moment. They call the in this book ROM. I taught this again before. That in Q1 you break even. Urgent and important, emergency stuff. That's a break even. A Q3 is a negative return. A Q4 is a zero return. Q2 is exponential return. In other words, if you spend more time in Q2, 
you will create exponential growth. So you put that time and energy into Q2, it is a multiplier. It's actually investing time and energy to get interest out of your time and energy. So it's not a break even. You're always getting a return on that investment or return on that moment. So I hope you get the book as we close. I've got about a minute left. I hope you get the book and just do your own research. The authors even have videos on YouTube. You can look up a whole bunch of different things on it so you can see how it works. Again, I'm bringing things to you that I think can help. You know, to, over the next two weeks, I'm going to be talking about the first quarter of 2021. How effective have you been? And why? And how you can make it more effective. So I want to make sure that you tune in and be ready. It's not based upon any book. This is going to be my own insight, my own points. And I hope that you will be open and receptive to producing the results that matter in your life. Uh, as Johnny Coleman, the founder of Christ Universal Temple, used to say, it works if you work it. So I'm asking you to go out here and work it. Make it work to do the things that you need to do. Because it really does work if you work it. God bless you. I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you looking for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.